My name is Sam Jenks, and welcome to another episode of The Way We Source, a podcast hosted by Kodiak Hub, where we share our talks with procurement practitioners, leaders, experts, consultants, content gurus, and people that we find downright inspiring, diving into the role that sourcing and procurement play in the way we live. If you like today's episode, make sure to rate the program and give us a follow. Today, you're in store for a real treat. Our guest today is considered to be one of the pioneers in the ProcureTech and the supplier risk management space. He's been active in the space since 2002 and served as founder and CEO, founding the business Risk Methods back in 2013 until their acquisition by Sphera in 2022. Heiko Schwartz. Heiko, welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. Glad to be here. We're super excited to have you. I would love to start with a question that we ask all of our guests. What does sourcing and procurement, this space that we're all in, what does it mean to you? For me, it means a fantastic area where we can deliver tremendous value to the enterprise and um, the journey of maturing the sourcing procurement function is, is way not over. So we have a lot to, to build, create, mature, and optimize and, and improve to the sea level that we are an valuable contributor to the success and competitiveness of, of the business, uh, way beyond savings, way beyond savings. And um, I believe that is also an exciting opportunity for um, youngsters um, that look after their career options. And uh, that's also one of the reasons why I'm always like happy to, to engage myself and, and spend personal time at universities um, for speeches, etc. to yeah, call out that it's a super attractive um, environment to work for and to work in. Now, do you realize or do the students realize who they're talking to when Heiko Schwartz comes into the room? They're talking to a pioneer in the space of ProcureTech. Do they recognize that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm not sure, but um, what's really interesting, I, I, I was at the HSC in St. Gallen um, two weeks ago, and um, I spent the lunch break in the canteen with the students that, that joined the course. And... There were there was an amount of overwhelming questions in regards of entrepreneurship, but also in mm. terms of technology, and you could feel the excitement of these um, youngsters and young professionals um, for the discipline, but also um, to seek for ways how to mature the discipline and and yeah do something meaningful as well as I mean since years ESG has, has converged with all the other traditional topics in procurement, which were about kind of quality and price, availability, and so so, and so on. And um, yeah, hard to answer the question, right? No, but <laughs> exciting as well. Exciting as well to hear that there's a really excited new and next, you know, wave of talent and 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 skills coming into whether it is the procurement space, the workforce as a whole. I'm curious if we double click on that, N now that you are, are out meeting a lot of potential young talent, what do you think are some of the big talent trends that will happen in the procurement space? Have you thought about this? Yes, definitely I, I did because technology changes the way how um, the procurement processes and, and scope um, is 
or has traditionally been because mm -hmm. automation and decision support by scenario building mm -hmm. um, technologies, AI technologies, etc., do invert certain areas of the traditional disciplines. Just think about the high degree of automation for um, sourcing procedures, like the buying process itself. Right. Um, Will, will it matter in the future how many supplies do you have because of the high degree of, of kind of automation? I, I don't think so. And mm. um, the value that procurement will bring to the table is going to be way beyond savings, which means um, flexibility, innovation that has to be sourced, collaboration with suppliers to develop new leading edge um, products or offerings that all goes together with a requirement to new talent that is way beyond what what we have seen in the past it's mm. about it's going to be about relationship management it's about um intercultural um competence it is about um streamlining internal cross-functional um collaboration to work and optimize supplier performance output to collaborate with the peers from logistics, CSR, sales, marketing mm. to, to mitigate specific risks and so on. So it's, it's a complete different game that we play moving forward. Yeah, super exciting. And I think that the, the space has a very bright future. Looking back on your time in the space, founding risk methods, for those that aren't familiar with the solution that you guys built and the impact that it made in the space before your acquisition by Sphere. Do you mind just providing a little bit of knowledge and background as to the solutions that Risk Methods provides? Sure. So um, I was within the procurement space a decade already before founding Risk Methods. And what I have observed when talking and interacting with my customers in the supply relationship management space is that they realized that financial health is not the only risk that they are exposed when it comes up to supplier relationships. And, and the impressions of the financial crisis was definitely one of the triggers. But then the, think about the uh, Thailand flood, which kind of disrupted the global supply for hard drive disks and um, tsunami with um, nuclear um, shutdown or the shutdown of and, and kind of explosion of the nuclear power plant in Japan and so on. So there, there were quite some some um, scenarios that made organizations realize, damn, risks come from many angles, risks don't sleep, and risk is there to stay and will be there tomorrow as well. So we need right. a complete different approach rather just looking into a one, two years old balance sheet and cash flow statement to judge if the supplier will be able to deliver the leading edge products that I need as differentiators that I um, built into my own offerings, as example. So that gave me a pause, that kind of observation. And I thought, hey, um, if, if that's the case, you need a very holistic like holistic monitoring capability to sense the entire supply network about what's going on. Might it be from a man-made risk perspective, strikes, fires, explosions? Um, might it be from the angle of natural hazards, um, earthquakes, uh, storms, floodings, um, ashes clouds, whatever? 
or from the image and compliance related perspective when um, suppliers are acting in a non-compliant manner, child labor, human rights, environment, and all the quality performance related topics, regulatory topics like sanction control. Like there's a huge variety mm. of risks and you can't do this in a manual manner. Mm. So um, I thought, hey, let's build a technology and, and leverage um, technology um, to provide a high degree of automation to, and now I'm answering your question, to monitor threats in the supply network to make enterprises aware about the implications if those threats materialize, meaning the impact um, to the business. And based on those two um, main perspectives to understand what can I do in a preventive manner or in which scenarios do I need in crisis and backup plan in the shelf to react first mm. once, excuse me for the word, the shit hits the fan, sure. and to be, to be prepared and to build resilience in the network. And um, so continuously kind of keep all the information up to date, collaborate with the business partners also to sense and identify the lower tiers of the supply chain and um, assess how well suppliers are also prepared because the supply chain breaks at, at the weakest link. And that might mm. be maybe not your business, rather the business of the suppliers or the suppliers of the suppliers. So extending the view and visibility is, is an very available kind of approach after you mastered stage one and two in maturity. Mm. And this definitely is the, the, the nature of our offering um, that we um, built in a modular um, solution to, to serve our customers and make them better prepared, make them more preventive and support them to react um, faster than ever. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a proactive approach to supplier risk management, which I think is all too often kind of um, seen by, by, by businesses. They see risk management as something that's a very reactive uh, you know, uh, activity within procurement and, and, and it's everything but yeah. that. And no worries about the cursing either, Heiko. We'll just put an explicit on the episode. No worries. All right. So, uh, <laughs> but nobody wants uh, the shit to hit the fan in their supply chain. So, so we appreciate, we appreciate the insights. You guys have been uh, pioneers in the risk management space, the supplier risk management space, you know, for quite some time now uh, at risk methods mm -hmm. prior to your acquisition and even still as a part of the sphere portfolio. I mean, how have you seen the space grow? Um, but also, where do you think that the space is headed next, if we can break it down into two questions? Yeah. So I think um, from a macro perspective, our space has matured and developed from and moved from an early adopter market maturity level to a um, early mainstream phase i'd say what do you mean by mainstream phase I'm, I'm curious about that if we could double click on that yeah so i would say until COVID hit the world the main conversation when it came to supply chain risks was why do i need it and after everybody felt the pain of being disrupted and customers complaining not getting the services or products mm -hmm. that you offer facing penalties etc um, the conversation has shifted to, I know that I need it, mm. how to make it the best, how to make it work so it's being adapted within the organization and are you the best provider for me? So, so it's a complete different conversation. Right. So at a period of time, you guys were educating the market for the need, so to say, whereas today it's it's common knowledge, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Understood. Mm-hmm. And and if you double click into how the discipline evolved um, over those ten years, I'd say it it evolved from supplier risk to supply chain, which includes warehouses, distribution centers, important bottleneck regions. Think about the stuck ship in the Suez Channel, right? It's not in supplier failure. <laughs> right. Um, borders closed due to refugee situations and so on. Like there is a hell of, of risks that expose the supply chain um, and the, the suppliers don't have any influence on it. So um, looking at those actors and, and critical bottlenecks was the natural path, how the discipline evolved over the, I would say, 2014, 15, 16. And then we have seen um, regulatory pressure kicking in from mainly the ESG angle, environmental, social, governance-related aspects, German legislation for the supply chain, which pushes human rights down the tiers, um, UK Modern Slavery Act, um, Forced Labor um, Act about the Uyghurs in the US, and so on, like many, many regulatory um, components, but also the buying behavior of the customer has changed, right? You, Sam, and I, and when we go to the supermarket, we want to buy sustainable products, right? Which forces either enterprise buyers or whoever the customer is of, of an enterprise, either enterprise buyers or consumers, who forces to to kind of push these requirements also to the supply chain, right? right. And um, that kind of <clears throat> topic enhanced supply chain, which tr- traditionally was about disruption risk, heavily focused on disruption with the other side of the medal, which is about reputation and, and regulatory compliance. And then some some more topics kind of grew into the, the scope of, of an kind of holistic risk inventory, such as cyber, which was more or less not present like 10, 12 years sure, ago. Sure, and it and is absolutely blowing up, right? I mean, it's some of the fastest growing yep. tech categories there is. So where where is the space heading next? I mean, do you prescribe, you know, there's a lot of risk solutions out there on the market now. Fact. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of those risk solutions that are applying cutting edge technologies, AI, generative AI. What is your take on things? I mean, where do you think that this space is heading next? Mm -hmm. So I believe that technology will take over more and more of the, let's say, process that, that delivers information up to making the decision. And Technology, and I've seen some examples just recently at DPW, which I believe is super exciting, um, where technology and and, um, LLM models, AI, so to say, um, make suggestions for multiple decision scenarios for the buyer Mm. or category manager or head of procurement, whoever is in, in charge of a respective topic. And I, I think this is exactly the way how the discipline and also supply chain risk management will be heading to. So um, we will become decision support providers, which provide all necessary information. But in addition to what is traditionally the way how to do software today, 
um, there will be concrete decision scenarios suggested as as yeah options to to the human, and um, I, I don't believe that at least on a tactical and strategic level technology will take over the decision making. No, I can believe technology can make this without any doubt on an operational level when executing very operational kind of processes, um, orders as example. And um, that's going to be really exciting because those <laughs> scenarios and, and the decision support has to be really meaningful, right? Mm. And you just can't tolerate a 90% hit rate, right? Good insights uh, and happy to be able to have your take on kind of the risk management market or the procure tech market as you've been in it for quite some time and seen the space grow leaps and bounds. And I would love to shift a little bit gears to talking about your founder journey, if you don't mind. Um, as they often say, the job of being a founder is typically a lonely one, even if you have co-founders in the business, right? Did you ever feel this loneliness within your founding of risk methods? And if so, um, you know, why do you think you felt lonely? But if not, how exactly did you manage to avoid those feelings? Yeah, to a certain extent it is. And I think the reason is, especially at later stages of organizational growth, is that you can not share every information, every kind of scenario with your peers, employees, investors, partners, customers, and you've got to make your mind about how to deal with issues, challenges, um, only with maximum with your core team, mm. which I always suggest to do. Like, don't don't remain a lonely wolf. Mm. Um, but yes, um, as a founder, you are quite often in a sandwich situation and, and have the pressure from, from different um, angles. And um, you got to deal with it. And you got to be aware of that situation and... Um, find your kind of core team in which you can share everything, keep it small because you have to deal the more the organization grows with more and more sensitive information. Right. Um, and um, yes, so to a certain extent it is, you, you get lonely, but my advice is make sure that you always have a core team around you, which knows everything that's going on. Yeah. Be extremely transparent because you will, in, as a return of transparency, you get support. Mm -hmm. You get additional insights and ideas how to deal with a specific challenge and um, choose those those um, peers that you can share that information wisely. Yeah. You know, you that is, that is my, my um recommendation as well. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's a good recommendation as well. I mean, you, you lift something that I think is pretty interesting that leads into something I wanted to ask about surrounding growth. So, I mean, growth is a unique journey to every single business, right? The growth in my business might look very different than the growth that happened at risk methods. But one thing that, mm -hmm. you know, I hear a lot, uh, and I think we've spoken about also offline is that the stages of growth can really change a business. And one of those aspects is also kind of the role of a founder, the role of a CEO in a growing business. And your business scaled, right? You took that journey, one to 50 employees, 50 to 100, 100 plus. 
What were some of the yeah. biggest changes that you saw in the business uh, when when you were in these different stages of growth? Yeah. So, how would I describe it? I'm. I, I think once you build and grow the business from one to 20, 30, 40 ish employees, everybody's in rockstar. Everybody knows everything. Everybody can do everything, right? Yeah. It's just an amazing kind of super fun <laughs> journey. Mm. Um, once you cross, I would say the 50 um, threshold, maybe for some organizations a little bit earlier or later, doesn't matter so much. Then you realize that you need more specified roles. You need to define responsibility areas, decision power within the respective area mm. and so on to move. The organization work more seamlessly and and avoid conflicts and overlaps of, of responsibilities and and that becomes even more kind of important once you cross 100 employees so the organizations become more spe um, specialized you split up roles um, the, there is not anymore the bdr there is the outbound bdr there's the inbound bdr right. There is the salesperson who's the hunter profile. Then there's the account manager that takes care of the existing customers. Then there will be a renewal team. There will be customer success. Then you split up customer success role into the implementation specialist, into the customer success guy who continues to develop the customer and so on, right? And it's in constant change and you've got to communicate a lot about why it's important, why it matters for the customer, put the customer in the center, put... But also don't forget the employee. And mm. the hardest thing about this journey for me was, I mean, we have been in the great position that our business grew nicely every like year over yeah. year over for more over than a decade. The tough thing is once this, I would say the stage of an organization changes and you grow quickly, some of your friends some of your high value employees and team members do not grow accordingly fast. Mm. And to make the tough decision that you're going to find someone else to, to add to the team that takes over a bigger, maybe management role, but it, right. it's not necessarily tied to management, a more, whatever, the evangelist role, however you want to describe mm. it, a more a different role that the business needs tomorrow because the well-deserved, loved team member, even friend, will be no longer capable to deal with the requirements that the company has tomorrow. Right. And it is not like, I, I don't like you anymore and you're not capable to do your today's job anymore, but I believe tomorrow the requirement from the company, which has changed, right, um, is 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 not matching anymore the profile that is for has been for me that areas with the most toughest decisions and if you communicate it right if you I mean given growth there are always job opportunities with an organization um, hopefully you can remain and keep those mm. those um, entries even though you sometimes hire and manager for them um, which brings in more capabilities skills and and they see it as an opportunity to mature and learn and and grow as well in their career yeah it's a it's it's super first and foremost thank you for sharing obviously i mean 
this is the insights of, 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 a, of a journey that I think a lot of people are inspired by, but it's obvious that it's not an easy one either, right? A lot of tough decisions have to be made along the way. And I think that one of the things about, you know, being a part of a growth venture and one of the things that I love so much is, is that, you know, you hit roadblocks and you, you, you find ways to, towards solutions, towards success, right? Continuously. And as an entrepreneur, yeah. you need to be ready to, you know, take, tough decisions, but you also need to be ready to win and lose fast, right? Uh, as they say, though, when a loss becomes a learning, it's either winning or learning, right? Not winning and losing, okay? Yeah. So what are some yeah. of your greatest learnings? Maybe if you could just pu pull out like a big learning that you had during your time when you were at Risk Methods uh, prior to the acquisition, and maybe even you know post acquisition in Sphere as well. What what was one of your greatest learnings as an entrepreneur? As long as you put your team and your customer into the center of how you steer and decide, commercial success will follow. Maybe not the next day, not the next month, mm. sometimes not even the next quarter, but on midterm. It's, it's a logical consequence yeah, if you are doing something meaningful, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm curious there because it's, it's a great tip, right? Keep your team, your core team, and your customer in focus. Is there ways that you guys worked with this to ensure that the customer is in focus? Was there ways that you, mm -hmm. like criteria that you made it real in the business? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as leader of the business, Always stay in touch with your customers firsthand. Mm. Don't let anyone tell you what your customers want. You should be listening and talking to your customers multiple times a month. Mm. For sure, it's very valuable and it's not scalable if you are the only one that <laughs> picks up customer information right. while you need your product. You know, just to be um, the ones that listen and hold the hands of your customers, as a, your sales, your customer success team, etc. But um, be and stay connected to the market. And it's so intriguing once the business grows. Like if you have 100, 200, um, 200 plus employees, you have managers for, for almost every kind of area and you're managing managers, right? That's the core of what you do. And you think about strategy and, and make sure that um, communication, decision-making, responsibility areas are, are well orchestrated and the business kind of, the ship navigates into the right direction. So you get more and more per nature disconnected from the operational yeah yeah and still i i believe it is mandatory to stay closely connected to the customers good response and uh, really good insights as well because i think that like you said as a business scales as you go through these different stages of growth it's natural right you specialize you build hierarchy but even still taking the responsibility as a founder, as a CEO, to ensure that you stay close to the client and stay close to you know the operation, the operations of the business. It's it's um it's the pulse of the, the and the heart of the business, right? So I think that you're you're totally yeah. right by saying so. You yeah. you took you know risk methods from you know no offense by saying so, but being a very German business, right? You guys were very doc centric in your in your embryonic phases to a very global business, right? And you mm -hmm. took on the US market as well. 
a lot of tech companies want to do that journey, right? Every European tech company wants, you know, they have Star Spangled Banner on some part of their growth strategy. Let's be honest. Could you share some of the lessons that you learned during that particular journey? Was there any kind of pillars uh, to the US go-to-market that you'd suggest to have in place uh, for businesses that are looking to head that way? Yeah. Maybe a second lesson uh, that I just wanted to to note, at least, I, I believe a great board matters. Mm. So in, surround your board or equip your board with experts. It's also sometimes from different areas and, and domains and um, be open to to advice from from others. I think that's that's my second recommendation. Now, um, switching gears to to the yes, go to market. Yeah, it's the largest software market. So if you want to play in kind of a meaningful role in, in, in the business, at a certain point in time, you've got to be in the yes and you've got to make it right. And it is damn hard for um, organizations to land in the US mm. because there is, there's so much noise in the market. Like if you have a specific, even super specialized domain where you are um, maybe the leader in Europe, there will be already hundred others that claim with the same kind of marketing slogans, etc., doing more or less the same. Mm. And it's very expensive to to get the mind share of of the the US audience in terms of marketing and go to market activities. Mm. And um, you you got to show the commitment to the market by at least one founder moving there. Um, having an entity on site, because if they ask, like, where are your <laughs> headquarters, you better ask, uh, answer Boston or whatever. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or the yes entity, rather. Uh, rather than Germany, Munich, right, exactly. Whatever, mm. uh, because it, it implies a lack of commitment to the market. Mm. And um, I think a recipe of success is to make the US business as sound, as taste, as feel, as American as possible. Mm hire local team that takes over responsibility that has a high degree of entrepreneurship um, because they have to rock the the business in the yes and um, for sure you the founder leader will be always in charge and, and carry the responsibility of success or, or um, failures um, but it starts with a website that is just not not just translated, right? Mm. It starts with a website that is built for the yes market. Mm. And at the end of the day, I think the final advice would be if you have well done your assessment about the cost to enter the market, just make a 2x mark <laughs> markup. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> and um, then hopefully the funds will be sufficient. So make sure that it <laughs> smells, tastes, and feels American and 2x your investment expectations. Okay, I like the tips. Very good, yeah. very good. I'm curious then as, as to try to kind of just round off, but also round off on the item of going stateside. How did you find, like at Risk Methods, how did you guys gain those first early adopter clients? Mm -hmm. I think it goes together with a positioning of, of the offering explicitly for early adopters. So, I think the first uh, most important aspect is be aware about the market maturity, which defines what kind of message will resonate with the organizations that you would want to win as customers. And if you are in an early adopter market, as we were back in 2013, right. 
Um, we clearly positioned our offering in a way that it resonates greatly with early adopters, right? Be the first one in your industry to leverage AI-powered risk insights to build a resilient supply chain and avoid supply disruptions, revenue losses, and whatever. The Americans but like this, a first. They like a good first, you know? <laughs> they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the cultural aspect yeah. as well in, in, in the US. Yeah. But think about us starting in Germany, and we just drawn circle around Munich and we, we approached automotive. Sure. And the first question and 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 German procurement guy will ask you is how many references do you have? How many references within the industry? How many references in my region? How many references for organizations <laughs> that have the same size like it? I and then you poor startup entrepreneur sit in front of, of this person and, and try to argument why um, he, he should be the first customer. Mm. Right? So but if you approach the market with a message, be the first, lead, lead the pack, right? Um, outperform the competition because X, Y, Z. Then you by nature will find the early adopters because these kind of call to actions mm. resonate with an early adopter market, right? Mm. And I think this is a big part of the recipe for success. And then it's just hard work, right? You You've got to approach many organizations, call them, email them, meet them on trade fairs and do whatever to attract their attention and, and find out where if they have reasonable pain points that, that are compelling enough to change the status quo. Awesome insights. And nobody can take away from you, Heiko, and the team that you guys had at Risk Methods that you worked hard and built something pretty significant. And uh, we're looking forward to, to, to seeing where things will, will head next as you're part of the Sphera portfolio as well. We would love to shift gears into the last part of today's episode, our quick fire round, our Kodiak moment, as we call it, getting a snapshot in time where we get to be able to learn a little bit more about who Heiko Schwartz is, the, the man behind you know, the, uh, the, 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 the founder and, and CEO persona at Risk Methods. Just quick fire questions, nothing related to procurement whatsoever. One word or one sentence answers is what we're looking for. You ready for it, Heiko? Okay. All right. Tomorrow, you have an all expenses paid trip, a vacation where you can go and take along your family if you'd like. Where are you heading? Tuscany. All right. Very nice. On that same topic then, what's the first thing that you're eating when you land in Tuscany? Pizza. <laughs> oh, very nice. Okay. Does Heiko Schwartz have a favorite color? And if so, what is it? It's blue. Oh, very nice. Very nice. For those that are just listening, Heiko is wearing a blue shirt today. A yeah. podcast or a book that you're reading right now or something that you would love to suggest to our listeners? Your podcast for sure. <laughs> well, that's very <laughs> kind of you. If you had to if you had to choose another podcast or book. Yeah. Um I I love the book, um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Okay. Do you mind telling why? Um, yeah, because it, it is about entrepreneurial situations which are not taught at the university or can be found in the Harvard Business Case kind of playbooks, kind of publications, rather the really difficult scenarios where 
you just have to have a choice between bad and very bad, more or less. <laughs> okay. and, and I think this is this is closer to reality, like um, than than many other publications. And um, yeah, it, it is written with a little bit the typical kind of US, hey, and I, I made it everything right, and it was so amazing, finally, etc. Kind of style, but. Um, there is an, there are really good thoughts and 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 um, situations that you can pick and and learn a bit. Yeah, the the journey of an entrepreneur is a tough one, and that's it's uh, it's an awesome one to hear about. So good recommendation for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on today's episode. If people want to reach out or you know learn more about what you're doing, how can they get in touch? Yeah, go to my LinkedIn profile, send me a message, and I'm happy to to reply and and um, start the conversation. Fantastic. I think that's the most easiest. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're happy that you took the time to have a conversation with us today, Heiko. Thank you so much for your time. Likewise, appreciate it. Um, take care.